This morning, if you'd turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, it'd be fabulous to continue on in our study in the book of Matthew, um, that we are We are studying and we are following in the beginning parts of the ministry of Christ. When we say the ministry of Christ, we realize that sometimes we think of Jesus as a pastor, as I am a pastor. And obviously uh, the formality of position, uh, as well as the importance of his ministry and the way he interacted with people uh, is what we're studying and looking at this morning. Just ask that uh, you join with me in a prayer, uh, just asking for God's blessing on our time. God, thank you for your word. Uh, we ask that this morning as we look at it, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you would reorder our hearts, that you would change us. Uh, God, you know where we need to be changed, and some of us don't even think we need to be changed in our pride. And so, Lord, I ask that you would work in us. God, thank you uh, for this time. We ask that your people would be encouraged to be faithful to you uh, for the week to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, chapter 3, and uh, as we looked at uh, John the Baptist's ministry uh, in the life of Christ as a forerunner, and then in chapter 4, we see that as Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, we go from there to... He is being tempted, uh, and tempted without sin. Uh, He conquers, and then we have the section we're going to look at this morning, really three short sections that talk about Jesus as being king. If you look down at uh, chapter 4, verse 12, is where we'll be beginning this morning, and God willing, we'll get to the end of chapter 4. It says this in verse 12, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that uh, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness, having seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death, of them the light has dawned. Uh, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew marks this time by the arrest of John and gives us no further details, but it's as if... uh, Matthew says, we'll get to the arrest of John later. We'll talk about what happens to John. And it will come in the chapters that are are to come, really. I think it's chapter 11. As you look at this, uh, John was preaching in the wilderness. He was baptizing in the wilderness. You have the Jesus was out in the wilderness being tempted. And then John is, is taken out. And it says that Jesus withdrew. Uh, to Galilee. He withdrew. Most of the time that word is used, there's a sense of retreating or getting out of a troubled situation. In this section here, you're going to see that once again, the plan of God is unfolding. Uh, When you see Jesus, really in the whole life of Christ, there are times when 
the crowds are pushing in or the the religious leaders are looking to arrest him and to take him. And it says that he withdrew. And sometimes we look at that and we go, well, was Jesus fearful of what was to come? And I don't believe that's what it is. It's as if Jesus was looking at his watch and saying, it's not time now. I have other things to do. I have other appointments to keep. The Father's plan is going to be fulfilled. And it is not time for me now to be arrested as John has been arrested. And so he withdraws. He withdraws to Galilee, um, which is part of the plan as well. You see the prophecy here is being marked once again as prophecy fulfilled. So it is part of the plan of God. But not just that. One writer has said of the different regions there of Judea and Galilee, that Judea was on the way to nowhere, on the way to nowhere. Uh, We can relate to that living here in Tehachapi, especially out here uh, outside of town, on the way to nowhere. Um, Even a dead end, if you will, uh, being here in Tehachapi. And uh, that Judea was on the way to nowhere and Galilee was on the way to everywhere. Uh, You have this region that had many Gentiles, many people that were not uh, by family a part of God's family. And so Jesus begins his ministry in this region in Galilee by God's own design as the prophecy foretold. It says this one thing that we know about this region and that Jesus came. Uh, It says that in verse 16, that the people dwelling in darkness, dwelling in darkness. Um, What does that mean? Well, many of us can mark a time in our life where we were dwelling in darkness, right? You understand what that means? That personally dark in our heart because of our own sin that we live amongst other people that are in that same place, that they're dwelling in darkness because of their own sin, and living in a world that's dark. That's the place where Jesus begins. That's the place where he starts. And it says, and it describes the region as a region of darkness. But what does it say when it speaks of Christ? Having seen Great light, great light. I, I think it's always interesting as we look at Jesus being the light of the world. He is not the light bulb, nor is he the electricity. He's just simply in and of himself the light. And as he comes and he impacts a region, he goes into darkness and he is the light. You think about that and what um, this world needs is they need the light. They need Jesus. And as Jesus went into Galilee, what this town needs, what our town needs, what your life needs, what your family needs, is the impact of Jesus coming in and bringing his marvelous light. They lived in darkness. In fact, they uh, it describes it also as the shadows of darkness and and in the midst of that, the great light has come and has dawned. As Jesus went into that region, it, it says this one thing. It tells us this really one specific thing. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Those of you who have been with us for the last four weeks or so, have you heard that before? It seems like he stole that sermon from somebody else. Uh, it's hard to think that Jesus stole a sermon, which he didn't. He first gave it to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist used it. And Jesus continues with the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, what is that message? I don't think um, some of you would say, well, see, it's right there. It's modeled for you, Pastor. Short sermons. It's a one-liner, okay? I don't believe that uh, Jesus went uh, from city to city to group of people from group of people and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's close in a word of prayer. Uh, I think that was the gist or the topic. In fact, we'll look at next chapter. We'll begin the Sermon on the Mount. And it was very long. It was very long. Um, I take my patterns from uh, chapter f- five, not chapter four. Okay. Um, you see, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, what does that mean? Repent. We, we talked about that when we looked at John the Baptist using the same message. It means to change your mind. Change your mind. Uh, as we hear that, some of you say, well, I'm good at changing my mind. I'm the original flip-flopper, you know. I, I change my mind as often as I, you know, when the clock strikes a new hour and on the half and when it breaks, you know. I, I'm ready to change at any moment, and I reserve the right to change my mind. That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is taking our present state, our own way of thinking, where we are living and the the thoughts that we are living out our life with. And he's saying that needs to change. And it's not just the idea that it needs to change, but to admit I have been wrong. You know, um, why is it hard to say that we are wrong? Well, for most of us, especially the older we get, um, many times... We've been wrong for a very long time. We've had the wrong answer. We've lived it out. We've applied it over and over and over again. And so for us to admit that we had the wrong answer is tough. But he says, repent, repent, change. And and it's not just the idea of changing mind of the intellect, of thinking a little bit differently, but that this thinking would now impact the way we live, where we live, how we live, how we relate in marriage, how we relate in family with our children, how we think about life and, and the future generations to come. He says, you need to repent. You need to change. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Jesus shared this message, the same message that John He said, you need to change and it needs to happen now. It needs to happen now. This isn't something where there's all these things and life left. Wait, wait, just get to it when you can. But he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. My kingdom is right here, right now. It is available to you right now. It is not something to be left for tomorrow. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message of the king.
the message of the king. As Jesus uh, begins his ministry, he begins as being the light to impact the darkness. And his message, the message that he shares that is to change is repent, repent now. Well, we move from that scene to a scene of him compelling and calling, the king calling people to himself. As we look at verse 18, you'll see this. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Well, um, I don't want to be try to be too profound, but you know why they were casting their nets into the sea? Do you know why? Because they were fishermen. And that's what fishermen do. And you say, well, it says that right there. Where'd you get that? You know, it's right there. Holy Scripture, it's true. You can, you can believe it. But it was like any other day. You know what they were doing? They were working. You know why I know that? Because that's what fishermen do. They, they, they aren't like some of, some of us here today that we fish for recreation. They were, they were about doing their job. You think about what you're good at. What are you good at here today? Some of you are going, I'm still trying to figure that out. What am I good at? What is it that if I would say, hey, why don't you go do this, that you would say, oh, okay, I've done that a thousand times. For them, it was fishing. And so they were at their job. They were at their desk, if you will, doing their occupation. And Jesus comes upon them without without an appointment. He didn't call ahead. And Jesus comes upon these fishermen I know this because it says they were fishermen and they were casting nets. They were fishing. Two guys. Well, um, it's not a very profound scene other than what happens. In verse 19, it says, And he said to them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Let's just breeze over that, but we'll come back to that, okay? Uh, Verse 20, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Okay? So you have two scenes. We don't know how how these worked, right? But the word immediately is said in there twice, okay? So I know it's not like days and, and, and there wasn't. So you have, he comes upon fishermen. They're casting their nets. I know they are. They're fishermen because that's what fishermen do. Cast their nets. He says to them, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they did. Okay. And then they keep walking. Okay. We don't know how far. Might have been a quarter mile. Might have been just the next group of fishermen. They're in a boat mending nets. You know why they were mending nets? Because that's what fishermen do, okay? It's real simple stuff. They were doing, they were in a boat. They are with their dad. You know what? Their dad probably taught them how to fish. It's a family-owned business. And so, so they, were, they were going about fishermen things, and same thing, calls to them immediately. They leave dad and the boat 
For some of you who hold boats near and dear to your heart, or dads for that matter, you say, boy, this is a big deal. He left his dad and his boat. I could see him leaving his dad, but his boat? That's a big deal. This is, this is the scene. And as we see this, some of us who have been raised in the church, we've, we've done the Sunday school lesson, we're familiar with the whole fishing thing going on in the life of Christ. This doesn't strike us as odd. But what Jesus did was, and he did this a number of different times in his ministry, especially with these fishermen, he said, um, I know more about fishing than you do. you you think you do amazing things and you do, but I know more about fishing than you do. You think about your occupation. You're all, you know, I think about these men specifically, you know, and I think of these prideful men full of themselves, feeling themselves to be really good fish. You know why I know they're prideful and full of themselves? You know why? Because they're men, (laughs) Have you ever talked to a man about his occupation? You know, I'm pretty good at what I do. I've been doing it for a while. People ask me all the time. And, you know, uh, when I talk to people about a new job, you know, I'm always overqualified. I'm always overqualified. And, you know, fishermen, this is times two, right? Have you ever talked to fishermen about their stories, about how good they are at fishing? Boy, it's a good story, right? And so they, they they undoubtedly felt like they knew what they were doing. And Jesus goes at the heart of their occupation and he says, come follow me and I'll teach you about fishing. Can you imagine that happening at your job? Some of you are craftsmen. You're able to work with your hands. You do things. And can you imagine Jesus interrupting your day and pointing at your work and saying, you want me to tell you about that? Let me, let me explain you how, how to do that better. Wow. I think of some of you who are engineers here today. Engineers, fishermen, it's all, you know, all, all the same, right? And Jesus entering into your cubicle and saying, I'm going to show you how to do that. I know more about that than you do. But Jesus puts a twist on this that they undoubtedly didn't understand, but we're going to in the weeks and months and years to come. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You picture them casting their nets and maybe they got a fish in the net or a fish bunch of them and they're looking down at these fish and they're going, fish equals money, equals sustenance, equals I know what I'm doing, I'm providing here. But a fish is just a meal and a meal's good, but that fish, I'll have to be out here tomorrow. And this man just said to me, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's different. There's something different about that. There's something more important about what he just shared. And their response is interesting to me. It's it's fascinating. I want to even say it's miraculous in that they, it says immediately, immediately. 
How would you respond if Jesus showed up at your work tomorrow? And he said to you something similar to this. He looked at what you do and do well and you know how to do. And he said to you, come follow me. Get a new occupation. It's kind of like what you're doing, but it's kind of not. It's more important. It says they immediately came. Um, I want to ask you a question. Uh, and one picture, they leave their nets. The other, they leave their father and their boat. Probably their nets too, but it talk, talked about them, maybe the more important there. And they just left them. If Jesus would come to you and he'd say, come, follow me. What would your response be? Uh, okay, um, where are we going? Where are we going? How, how are you talking like, come follow you for a couple hours? Are we going out to lunch? Are we, are you think if it's an overnighter, I kind of got to go home and pack. Um, what, let me take care of my nets here. Let me make sure those get home because they're kind of valuable. Let me help my dad with the boat because he's not going to, there would be all these things that would come up in our minds of reasons where we couldn't go. We would say, I, you know, I, 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 I hear you calling to me, but I have my reservations. Well, where are we going? What, what's going to happen? How am I going to get there? What, what are we going to, you know, when are we going to stop for lunch? You know, did you bring any snacks? Uh, you have all these questions. And yet, because of who Jesus was, it says that he called to these fishermen and he was compelling in and of himself that said, I will leave it behind and I will follow you. You can imagine the excitement of these fishermen as they came going, that was crazy what we just did, but I'm so excited about following Jesus. Um, I want to just take a moment here um, and just say that we get it all wrong most of the time. We get it all wrong. Um, We get it wrong about the message of Jesus, repent. And we get it wrong about the call of God on our life. Most of us think that when Jesus enters our life, it is Him coming into our life and blessing our mess. That, that, that we are calling to Him to come and enter our home. We are calling to Him to come follow us in our occupation. I have these plans and dreams. Jesus, please come enter into them and bless them. And yet, what does it say? It says, repent. Who's the one that needs to change, me or Jesus? Who's the one whose plans need to be reorganized and reformatted and scrapped, if you will? And it's me, right? I'm the one that needs to repent. Most of us, if we were picturing this fisherman-Jesus interaction, we see it in our own mind saying, it's just so weird. It, it shouldn't happen that way. What should happen is something like this. We're out here fishing, and there's some different 
uh, we'll get there eventually. But we're out here fishing. We're out doing our job. And we're struggling. We're struggling fishing, you know. And Jesus sees us struggling and he says, I want to fish with you for a while. And I want to bless your fishing. And then tomorrow we'll do this again. And I will bless your fishing industry. And somehow I will make you great. But what does Jesus do? He says, you come follow me. Where are we going? I didn't say where we're going. I said, you come follow me and I'll teach you how to be fishers of men. You see, it is not our plan that is being worked out. It is that we are becoming and are followers of Jesus Christ. We follow him. He does not follow us. As we look at this passage, uh, Jesus was teaching fishing to fishermen. He was saying, let, let me teach you how life is meant to be lived. You come and follow me. So he calls these disciples and immediately they come. In the last section in chapter 4, starting at uh, verse 23, it says this, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom, healing every disease, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him the sick and the afflicted, various diseases and pains, the oppressed, the demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And he healed them. Do, do you see what's happening? He calls these individuals, but also what he is doing is he's wiping out disease and sickness in the region. There's one thing that doesn't really fit in that list. What is it? What is the one thing that maybe doesn't belong there along with the other ones? Everything else is like physical diseases, but there's demon possession as well. And in the midst of everything that ailed the people of that area, Jesus took care of it all. <laughs> took care of it all. They'd bring someone to him who's sick. He'd heal him. You can imagine what that must have been like, right? What, what if Jesus would show up in our city today and he would do this? And he would just start wiping out. He'd go to the hospital and start going, you're okay, you're okay. You're, he'd clear the place out and be amazing, right? And word would get out and people would come not just with physical ailments, but with spiritual issues, things going on inside, things that aren't just uh, a small tweak, but something that is in another world that we can't even see took care of that as well. Jesus took care of it all. And as he took care of it all, what happened? Fame and crowds. Fame and crowds. Why? If you could do that, people would people would want to be around you as well. There would be excitement to it. We'd want to see. And, and initially we would say, oh, I don't know if I believe it. But if you'd see and you'd have a family member who would, then you'd start telling people and there would be this grand excitement. Jesus was showing his that, that he was the king. But he wasn't just a king. He was the king. And not just a, a king like they had seen before, but he was a king overall, even disease and even demon possession. The fame of the king 
Well, that section right there uh, would be a great health, wealth, gospel section, wouldn't it? Jesus can take care of whatever's wrong with you. Be a good message, right? And it's true. He can take care of whatever's wrong with you. And some of you have longer lists than others, even this week. It's true. He can take care of us. His plan is not always to take care of us, though, right? In that way, take care of in the sense of eradicating it. Part of his plan many times is that we would go through heartache and cling to him. So what is this section? How does Jesus begin his ministry? I have three things I want to share with you. And just to keep at the forefront of our minds as Jesus begins uh, to walk the face of this earth and he goes out uh, changing people. The first thing I want you to remember, the king wants you to be changed. The king wants you to be changed. I say the king because Matthew is a book of him being the king. But I also want us to see that he is a loving king over us. And as part of his plan is not that that he would follow us around and clean up our messes, but that we would be changed. We would be changed. He made us and he came He came that we would have life and have it to the full. And so as he desires change in us, he wants us to be fixed for our benefit. Some of us fight against the Lord. We say, Lord, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know where I'm supposed to be. I know what my life is supposed to be about, but I don't want it. And I don't want you to mess it up. He's not messing up our lives. He's fixing them. He's rescuing us. That's what the gospel is. He wants us to be changed. The second thing, uh, the king wants your life without reservation. Without reservation. As you look at his call to these men who were fishing, they don't say, wait a minute. They don't say, I'll catch you next year. You know, wait till I get my house in order. Wait till I take care of dad, my boat, my nets. I don't know if I'm trained for this. You know, I don't feel comfortable with this. Just as immediately they came without reservation. As God wants our life and as the mere fact that he would want us to be his is uh, a gracious thing in and of itself. But as he calls upon us, the mere fact that he wants to be with us and wants us to be with him is amazing. And so for us to say, oh, I'll do that, but but don't touch that. You know, I'll give you a piece of my life, but don't take the whole thing. Okay. Without reservation. He wants our life without uh, stipulations or not a contract with lines of uh, except for this, except for this, except in this case. He wants your life without reservation. And lastly, I just want to tell you and remind you that Jesus can handle it all. He can handle it all. Know that. Know that this is not a health, wealth gospel. But as we walk through life, some of us despair, despair. 
the next medical appointment, the next bill that comes, the next storm that starts to uh, start in the distance. And we go, I don't know. I don't know if you can handle this. Oh, you know, I know you handle the last one and the one before that and the one before that and everyone before that. I just don't know. Jesus can handle it all. What his role is in our life is he is the king over our problems. He is the king over our problems. That those disciples, as they were being drawn out of fishing and into a new occupation, uh, they probably had a lot of questions. You know, that, why us? You know, what was going to happen? All they needed to know is the king called. He told me to follow. And so I'm following. And that he could take care of everything that would come up, whether it be sickness or health or provision or uh, trials or relationship issues. He can handle it all. He's the king overall. This morning, I hope that as we get a fuller picture of who Jesus is, you're getting excited. You're getting excited because that's your Savior. And not just your Savior, but that's your King. And if He's in charge, I can trust in that. In fact, not just trust in it, I can be excited to trust in that because He is taking care of me. This is the great comfort that we have of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, that He can be trusted. Let me pray for us. God, um, this morning, I pray that as we've looked at your word, I pray that uh, it is reordering our life right now. That you are causing the work of repentance to go on in us and that that would fit us for the week to come. God, I pray that you would give us the faith that comes from knowing you, your work in us, that we might be fully equipped for the days that are to come. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, the King. And it's in his name we pray.